Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 16, Get Your Own Dirt. How do we read the scriptures on a deeper level? Do we get stuck inside of a theological box? And how do we handle church conflict? We discuss those questions and more with Murray Duick, founder and director of Samuel's Mantle Prophetic Training School. Have spent a lot of time together, uh, especially probably the last five, eight years I was in Canada. Um, he's a close friend. He's a good friend. But to, today he's here because of his really unique perspective, uh, a prophetic perspective on the scriptures. Uh, he, he'll tell you more about it later, but he founded a school called Samuel's Mantle, which I'm told now has trained about 2,000 people all over the world. And uh, I've had Murray come down. We had him come speak at a couple of Impact Nations events. And uh, he's always really well received. But I wanted, as we're looking into John and uh, understanding how to go deeper into the scripture, uh, I thought of you right away, Murray, and I really wanted you to be part of this mix. So thanks for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm eager to learn a little bit more about uh, Samuel's mantle, but uh, I'm more eager, perhaps, to jump right into the text. Uh, one of the things I've been really excited to talk to you about, Murray, is uh, a concept that came up when you were teaching on uh, John 9, uh, where it's the healing of the blind man, and the, uh, the religious folk are asking Jesus, you know, who, who sinned? Why is this guy blind? What's what's happened? And you, you use this phrase, the cause and effect. It's a cause and effect view of the Father. Yep. Uh, and Murray, I'm not sure if, if you've got any thoughts on that. I, I'm curious to know, where does this cause and effect view come from, and how do we combat it? Um, I'll answer that part way, and then I want to come back to that exact passage, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, the cause and effect thinking is a real kind of a Western... Um, it's kind of trained, trained under our thinking, you know, and so I find it with prophetic people when they start taking Samuel's mantle or, or they make statements like, uh, God doesn't speak to me, I can't hear, or it has to be this way. And, and they're so sure that they're right, uh, that it actually blocks them because they're more sure about their, um, experience or what they've been taught. Like, so if somebody's been taught God doesn't speak today, well, if, if that has come from uh, a religious leader or religious training, well, therefore, it must be true. And, and by the end of first year, I've had people who, who come because their wives are there and say, well, I can't hear God at all. Can I still come? And they're, you know, they're picking people out of crowds and ministering on streets. And they're like, I can't believe this works. How does this work? Because their brain is still telling them, this has just got to be me. But, but the fruit is the Lord's there. And, and part of it is, part of it is, um, you know, I, we, you know, we used to do this thing. I used to be a youth pastor way back in the day. And we would do this thing called a trust fall. Have you ever seen that? You put somebody on a chair and then there's a group of people and they have to, they have to fall, right? And they have to, they have to trust you. And, and I say, you know, that's a lot like, like um, hearing God's voice. Like when you're, if you picture yourself standing on that chair or anybody. So how it works is you, you take a, a typical church chair for those of you who are watching don't understand. And someone has to stand on top of that chair facing backwards. And then there's a, a group of people behind them and that have to catch them. Well, the, the, the first thing that happens, if you can imagine standing on that chair, is when you tell them the fall, everything around you says, well, no way, this isn't going to work. I'm going to get hurt. Right? That's the first thing. 
And then that, that person's emotions tend to back that up. Well, my emotions and what my brain is telling me say this is true. It isn't until they step and experience it and realize, oh my goodness, I did this and it worked. People caught me, I'm safe. They could do it a hundred times in a row after that, right? But the problem is, is that uh, part of it is by the time, by the time somebody's out of high school, you've actually taken about 2,600 tests uh, based on right or wrong, right? And, and we're really rewarded in our culture and critical thinking, not in creativity. So something that's outside of the box, usually there's been no reward in risk, but in following patterns. And so, so for example, if I'm going to tell somebody God hears, and I'm going to say to them, now let's go out on the street and do it. Usually that will shut them down if I do it too soon, because they'll be so afraid they're going to get it wrong. They have so much head noise. I can't hear. No one's going to hear me. It takes me about six months in some cases, depending on the person, to get past some trained in belief systems from culture, right? And, um, and that affects how we read scripture. That affects everything. And, and unfortunately, it, it's a little bit like the old, I remember James Dobson talked about it, the, the old family focus guy, where they, some scientists did an experiment where um, they decided that they would take the um, schoolyard, an elementary school, they decided to take the fence down. Just, I don't know, you know, those poor kids, if all the parents had to sign a waiver, whatever it would happen to them. But, but they thought what would happen is, is that everyone would wander all over the streets and it would be chaos, right? But when they took the fence down, what happened instead is that all the kids just huddled in the middle of the schoolyard and no one went anywhere near the corner of the fencing because nobody knew where the boundaries were anymore. And, and you see, we have all these boundaries built into us from our religion, from our culture, from our society that keep us safe. But the problem is that those built-in things, they also can really hinder us if we step outside of our culture, right? So, so we have things like, for a man, we have things like big boys don't cry or I am what I do, right? Well, try to teach somebody here to hear the Lord's voice if they're unwilling to show emotion. That, that can be pretty tough, right? Or um, uh, people who've grown up in a church that says, well, God doesn't speak today. Well, w- once you upload all that fence, it's a pretty scary thing to take it down, and and it takes some time. And I would put money that anybody listening probably had a fence like that at one time and then met Jesus in a very real way, and their fence came down. But something happened to change that built-in belief system, right? So belief systems are in us to keep us safe, and they're very good at first, but they can be very limiting. And um, I remember the story of Dr. Jack Deere, right? So Dr. Jack Deere was the um, dean of Old Testament theology at, at – at um, Dallas, right? So Dallas was dispensationalist teaching God doesn't speak today. And so, you know, that's how he read his Bible. God doesn't speak today. It's pretty clear. Every other professor or person I know believes God doesn't speak today. My experience tells me that's true. My scripture tells me it's true according to his paradigm, right? Um, And then uh, he ran into Dr. John White, who was a, you know, a, a teacher, leader, psychologist in this area. And Dr. Jack Deere had thrown his back out and Dr. John White says to him, well, you know, let me pray for it. And he's like, well, it, this is crazy, but because you've got a degree, I guess I'll trust it, right? Because he's got an education. And Dr. John White prays for him. He gets healed. Boom. He's like, oh, my goodness. Right? Fence comes down. View of scripture completely changes, hmm. right? But, but it took a, a moment of crisis where the old belief system didn't work anymore to be willing to embrace the new. 
And um, the old saying is nothing changes sometimes and still staying the same becomes too painful. And, and, and we can get so locked into what feels safe to us that we take that feeling of safety to be God's perspective. Not realize sometimes it's a religious perspective because it keeps us locked in. And so Dr. Jack Deere's story goes, goes back to Dallas and tells everyone, guess what? God heals today. And what happens is they fire him because according to their theological belief, it can't be God. Right. Well, again, man's training, man's belief system, and then what feels safe, like standing on the chair. There's a risk coming out of the paradigm. Sometimes we have to allow the Lord to take down the, the fence of the schoolyard to make our our how we view things bigger, how we experience life bigger. And and we need to get I think Bethel would call it crossing the chicken line. Right. So is it uh, Romans 10? Let him who prophesy prophesy according to the level of their faith, not the level of their knowledge. Right, level their their faith. So, and faith basically spelled R I S K, risk. You got it. You got to step out, and you got to trust. But you're not trusting on your ability. You're trusting on your relationship. It's relationship that empowers, right? Not not ability. And and again, if we don't have a good view of the Father, there's another one. If we think God hates us, if we think He's angry, if we think He's distant, do are, you, if, are we going to step out and believe? Do we want to hear God like that? And I, I would think the answer would be no. So even without that paradigm in place about how we read Father in Scripture, right? So Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, I pray God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So you would know the glorious Father. Like that's still the foundation even of what we're supposed to have revealed is the glorious Father. So if even if that's out in our schoolyard about who the Father is, you know, that, that changes everything. So these paradigms and belief systems, you know, I really think with that kind of thing, you know, this is maybe a whole other topic, but where does that come from? And we spent a lot of time talking about this. And if you look back to the fall, you know, Adam and Eve had this incredible relationship with God. They saw him face to face, right? And, and it's saying that God came walking in the cool of the day there. The word cool there is ruach. It's the word spirit. It's translated spirit, wind, or breath anywhere else in scripture. And it, and it isn't until they eat the fruit of that tree, that their eyes are opened. But if you think about that, what happens is they start to experience a self-paradigm where everything, when God shows up after that, it's all about self. Um, they hide. They feel shame. They feel fear. When God corners them, Adam blame shifts. It's her fault. You know, she blames the snake. There's the same God they had as best friends. Now they can't see him at all. They only see judge. And... Um, it's a matter of understanding how that knowledge of the tree of good and evil affects us, how self we are based moving to father, right? Moving to a father relationship and then risking on that. But again, like it, it takes a getting past even what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden a little bit, right? Fear of the judge. Am I going to get this wrong? And uh, realizing he's Papa, right? So important to get that right. So I'm not sure if I answered your question entirely, but there's my little rap trail. But, that's, but that's good. <laughs> so, so with that, okay, prophetic perspective. If you don't mind, we'll go back to the beginning of this passage because Steve, it'll fit into something you said. So again, we can read scripture through our training and through our culture, and and we miss a whole bunch of stuff. So I read scripture really through as as the Lord has taught me through a, a, a prophetic lens, right? So you can read read scripture through the lens of evangelist. So you, those passages will jump out at you through the lens of a pastor. So verses of Jesus as compassion jump out at you um, uh, through the lens of a, of a visionary leader about planting and building, right? 
you can also read scripture through the lens of a prophetic person, right? So, so again, sometimes we don't see things because our religion or church culture doesn't permit us. Okay, so let me give you an example of that. So, um, again, you know, Steve, I listened to your podcast. It was quite enlightening, John 1, right? The pro- prologue where it talks about how everything is in darkness and chaos. And then Jesus speaks and says, let there be light, right? The word of God, right? Let there be light. And there's this clear reference to that in John 9, the light of the world, right? And you have this man in darkness and in chaos. Now, if you just go back and look at that through a Jewish perspective of prophetic language, right? So here's something we often miss is that in the Jewish perspective, uh, um, it's uh, dream and vision internally and prophecy, sign and wonder externally, but but it's the same language. So um, Acts 2, Acts um, quoting Joel, Paul, uh, Peter says, I pour my spirit in all flesh and they shall prophesy, everybody. Uh, old men will dream dreams, young men will have visions, um, I'll pour out my spirit on both men and women, and there'll be signs on the, in, on the earth below, wonders in the heavens above, and then it lists them, right? So it talks about how the Holy Spirit affects internally us, externally the world. So sign and wonder. So John 20, verse 30 says, and, and Jesus was a, um, all these signs were written that you would believe, right? All the signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, Acts 2.22 Jesus was a man accredited by miracle signs and wonders. So it's different than a miracle even. So a sign. So to a Jew, a physical event can be full of symbolic language that you have to interpret like a parable, right? So when Jesus dies on the cross, we all interpret that one. So, I mean, because he dies on the cross and right then the veil in the temple rips. And we can say, well, this is that, right? Um, We can go with, um, oh, we can do that with the virgin birth, riding on a donkey, um, we can do that with um, the dead raising to life when Jesus came back or the wind blowing at, at Pentecost. The word wind, ruach, and the word spirit, ruach, they're the same thing, right? Well, the thing is, so then when you're reading scripture and you have an event like this happen, you have to go back and read it with prophetic eyes, for example, right? A physical event can be interpreted because Jesus is setting this up. So, so light of the world. So think of it like this. So this guy is born blind. He's never had sight. And matter of fact, I think it's verse 2032. It says, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind, right? So, so in other words, it's not healing. It's creation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You bet. So, so you look at the passages. What is man? How did God create man? He took the dirt of the ground, breathed upon it, created life. So what does Jesus do here? He takes the dirt of the ground, takes out of his mouth what comes, Right puts it on his eyes and creates sight out of nothing. Who else has ever done that? Yahweh, light of the world, creation out of darkness. That goes right back to to, uh, John 1, what you're talking about. And Jesus demonstrates John 1 by creating light out of darkness, just like God did by taking dirt, right? But again, you have to have prophetic perspective to see that Jesus is making a statement, just like turning water into wine, right? It's a sign. It says this is the first of his signs, heavenly language that they would believe. So when you see the word sign, you've got to go, you have to interpret this. Like everything Moses does in the desert needs to be interpreted. Everything. It's all for something. And Jesus is making a statement here by doing that, uh, the very thing man's made out of. You ever, you ever heard the joke of where the scientists want to have this, they want to have a, a debate with God. They want a contest because now they can create 
life too, right? So they get together and they, God, we challenge you. We want a contest. We're going to create life out of this dirt. And God goes, okay, you're on. Get your own dirt, right? Because <laughs> they can't do it. So because God creates it all. And so does Jesus. And you look at that passage, but we don't see it again because we don't, we don't have religious training to see God in our physical realm like that. We don't have the religious training to, to think of physical acts as, as, as parable language. Uh, we don't have the physical acts to be able to see that in the context of scripture. And, and that's because of our religious training or upbringing and our, our, you know, what it, um, I, Isaac Newton said, God is a watchmaker. He wound up the universe and left. Well, if we treat God as if he's not involved in this realm, we don't see it. Right. So, but there's a, there's an example of our religious training because no one teaches us to read scripture like that affecting what we can encounter. God's still doing stuff like that all the time, yes. but we miss it because we don't have the training or the eyes to see. So there you go. That's how I read that passage. Uh-huh. And I read the cursing of the fig tree like that. I read the crow, um, the moment that crow with, with Peter like that, um, like the fig tree, super quick. Jesus is on his way. I think he's been in the temple the night before and he's caused lots of trouble. And then he leaves to Bethany to sleep. And on the way back to the temple, he curses the fig tree, right? And he says, you will no longer bear figs. Uh, and the Mark passage says figs weren't even in season. I mean, the odds that Jesus didn't know that are pretty well next to nothing. I mean, I don't try to pick raspberries in January here. We have lots of raspberry bushes. I know I've grown up with them, right? So what does it mean? Well, in that time period, a fig tree was a symbol of Israel. And the very last parable Jesus teaches in that passage, because he's going back to Jerusalem to confront the Pharisees, he says in the parable, and the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a people that will bear its fruit. But we don't look at fig tree as, as symbolic. So anyway, there's so much of that, having a, a prophetic lens to read scripture through. Hmm. So, and you've talked a lot about this, where we're limited sometimes by the historical critical method. And we've actually had people email question in about this. And one of them, uh, one of those questions was, do you have any recommended resources on how to uh, read read the scriptures for the depth that they contain? Uh, do you do either one of you have any suggested reading materials or just some some helpful? techniques uh, on how to read through that prophetic lens or, or really mm. to understand the depths of what are hidden in the scriptures. I say hidden, but I, you know, I suppose they're hidden. I don't know. You tell me. Well, uh, I don't, uh, I don't think that uh, a mystery uh, in biblical language is a thing to be revealed, mm. not to be hidden, but to be revealed. And uh, you know, that's a, a great question. I can say that for me, I don't know about you, Murr, but I, I've, as you know, I've been going into an awful lot of the ancient church, the ancient writers, the church fathers, because uh, prior to the what we call the age of reason, which I think is almost an ironic term, um, mm-hmm. we we had a much more holistic view, which included. Uh, symbols and types and and signs you know john clearly seven times in his gospel says and this was the second sign and this was the third sign yeah you know with kind of an in parentheses dummy don't miss this you know 
Um, so I think that's been a big, a big help for me and learning to read. I don't know about you, Murray, but, but learning to read more contemplatively this morning in my time. I spent some time in, in, uh, first John chapter four, just two verses and I was probably 15, 20 minutes. Mm. So it's, it's learning to see it that way. How, what would you go ahead? Sorry. I was just going to say just because I want to get real practical here. You say you spent 20 minutes on two verses. Yeah. What did you do during your 20 minutes? Okay. I read through, uh, I was reading first John four today in one of my places I read through the Bible. And I, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? I just, I think you know that's been my lifestyle. Yeah. And then today, two verses jumped out at me. And um, so because they jumped out at me, I read them again, slower. Mm-hmm. And then I read them again, slower. And then I just thought about them. And then I turned that into prayer. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the prayer, it just brought me into a real quiet, still place where I just really encountered the presence of Christ. Mm. So that's... Yeah, no, that's really helpful. That's what I do. Murray, I suspect you have a thing or two to say about that. Yeah, um, I'm I'm the same way, you know, going back to um, the early church fathers. And um, I think think it was C.S. Lewis... I believe he said, you know, you need to go back and read, read the writers every hundred years and just keep going back every hundred years and just watch for their, their emphasis and, and, and watch what they're saying. And because there are, there are fads in the church. There are, there are things that take yes. in wrong directions. And, and, but if you, if you can step back and look at a bigger scope and just believe the Holy Spirit's been working all these centuries you know, those, the, the right themes will, will come to stick out. And, you, and then you'll begin to read scriptures through the eyes of, of um, you know, of how the church or how God has trained people. So, uh, you know, so, for example, you can look at a passage and you, you can read it. Um, you can read it for how it will affect you personally. Right. You could read a passage of how it will affect your relationships. You could read a, a passage of how it's going to affect uh, a, a justice or community. Um, you could read a passage uh, in a way that's like, you know, symbolically. How could I in- interpret this mystically, right, so to speak? So, you know, you learn to do these these levels. But I, I think there's a great little book. I-, I love this little book by a guy named Charles Bellow. And he's one of the uh, overseers in the vineyard. And, and it's called Prayer is a Place. And, um, and-, and he goes through a lot of very simple um Exercises like original church ways of reading scripture, which would be like Lectio Divina, which is almost a little bit what you're talking about, Steve. Yeah, and, it is. And and just prayer, prayerful reading, you know. And so you would you would take a passage, and and you would read it, and you would wait to see what jumps out on you. So if you're reading, let's say Psalm 23, and and you're reading along, and suddenly the passage on that day is. Um, he leads me beside still waters. I mean, you know, a week ago, the, the part that jumped out of you was um, he anoints my head with oil, right? Uh, but now it's that. And you go, well, that's interesting. Why Why does that jump out at me? And you spend some time with that. And you listen to the Lord. You, like, you make a conversation. You bring it back to the Lord. Lord, why this? So you're not just reading to memorize. You're reading to relate. You're really to have a conversation. And then, then memories might come of previous times the Lord says, remember in the past, when I gave you this first, what happened? Or do you remember what we did when we did this in the past? Or certain memories might come back. 
um, or, or God might bring people to mind. So you, you begin to read relationally. I, I find that kind of the most important thing to read. So, so you read, you wait, you read it all. If that was me. Like if I was reading a Psalm and I would wait to see what is impressed upon me, then I would take that back to the Lord and I'd ponder it and see what feelings, what memories, what other scriptures might connect to that. And then I, I would sit with the Lord and un, unpack that. But, but it's, it's taking it in a relational context. So instead of just going, how do I live up to this? It's more like, Lord, you know, why are you impressing this on me? And so I'm trying, I try to be relational as much as I can. Again, that's prophetic. I want to hear, right? That's kind of my wiring, but that's how I would do it mainly. I also would a reading of scripture. learning uh, as an extension of what Murray's talking about and, and uh, you know, like the Divino, et cetera, is, is a contemplative way of reading. We tend to do everything so fast, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, I want to read through my four chapters today or whatever. We just move fast. And I think a lot of the time uh, w- to get to the deeper places, mm-hmm. you go slow. John Wimber used to teach us, you've heard me say this yeah. growing up, if you want to go fast, go slow. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's everything from church planting to how we approach our time with the Lord. Uh, so I would say that that's very helpful. Some of the contemplatives, um, and I think I've written a little bit about that, but about, you know, on our website, but some of the contemplatives where they go, they give you some tools and some way of thinking that goes deeper. This week's episode is brought to you by our India flood relief effort. Recent flooding in Kerala, India has left 1 million people seeking refuge. As the waters begin to recede, the true devastation is becoming clear. Entire communities are left without any access to safe drinking water. As a result, disease will soon break out. But you can help. Impact Nations is working with our partners in India to distribute water filters that will provide clean water as people rebuild their lives. But we can't do this without your help. For every dollar that you give, we can supply another person with clean water. Please visit impactnations.com flood to give today. And now, back to the podcast. Also in episode 13 of the podcast, you talked about... Of course, and we've talked about this lots in terms of this is a building confrontation between Jesus and, and the religious. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't pull any punches. Uh, but you you talked about how, uh, and this may have been a later, uh, I think this was just last week's episode, where you said the gospel can actually divide and bring division. Um, but in episode 13, you talked about how it, it can put you outside the camp. Speaking the truth yes. can put you outside the camp and, and leave you ostracized from uh, from the societal norm, shall we say. Yes. Um, Murray, I'm not sure if, if you had a chance to listen to that part of that episode, yeah, but I, yeah. I wonder if you've experienced that and, and uh, what that experience is like, How it, what led you to that place. Ooh, boy, that's a lo- it's a loaded question, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think, you know what, I've, I've been through, I think I've been through as many church splits as I have fingers on my hands almost, I think. And and see, the, the problem, churches don't split over love. They, they usually split over vision. And, and, and God gives us vision. But, you know, John says, if you don't love your brother who you've seen, how can you love God who you don't? And, and, you know, I, 
like even recently, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, people who can hear God super clear, make some really bad decisions uh, just based on, well, you must have the Jezebel spirit, for example. And like, well, you're going to hand me a book on the Jezebel spirit about someone else and saying that's the Lord when scripture clearly says, love your brother, go to them, lay down your burden, do not be angry, turn the other cheek. Like it doesn't, it doesn't match scripture. And, and, and part of the, the problem is, again, we have some cultural things. We talked about that, that fence, right. Or, or belief systems. And, and, and part of it, especially in Western culture, we're, we're pretty self-confident sometimes that, that we are right. We're very taught how to be independent. You know, we're, we're, we're a very independent indiv- individual. And sometimes our rugged individuality really can get in the way of community. And, and people even in community can be very rugged individuals, right? So they're, they're in community as long as you're, you're going the same way. So it's, it's, it's a hard thing. And then on top of that, you have personality types. So like, like pastoral people, so if you think of any gift mix, any gift mix has a strength and a weakness, for example, right? So pastoral people tend to, they, they can love where other people can't, they can step in where other people can't, but sometimes they give mercy where God isn't given mercy. So I remember John Paul Jackson telling this story once where, where he had a lady come to him. So he's a prophetic guy and, and, and he had $200 left just to pay his phone bill or something. And this lady comes in crying, oh, I need $200, I've got to, you know, and he goes, well, here, here's my $200, right? You know, I have faith for $200. And she leaves, thank you, thank you, and, and, and he's feeling pretty good about that, you know? And the Lord says, John, Paul, why did you do that? It took me two years to get her that desperate, and now I'm going to have to start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just assumed that that act of kindness was the right thing, not realizing that, you know, the Lord was trying to deal with her on using other people who knows what right yeah. but but a pastor often it's hard to watch the sheep hurt so yeah. um uh, sometimes visionary leaders for example they get so caught up in their vision because it's so exciting to them that they're, they're not really hearing the lord there at all it's just you know they um prophetic people sometimes if, if our lenses aren't right we can really get caught up in judgment feeling sin feeling the devil chasing the devil all the time feeling fear or um just running away because we're just overwhelmed by what we're picking up, right? Just, but that sensitivity is a super good thing. But uh, and then you're trying to get all these personality types to get along, you know, and 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 so there, there is that. It makes it humanity. You know, we're I think when God calls us little children, He really means it. I think we're all really about three years old, you know, and 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 we tend to look at each other as you know we should know better. Well, we're probably all really about about three. So um, can I give you one more thought on that? Yes. Um, so, you know, now what helps me, like, I mean, I, I often say that I, I try to picture myself, if I went back in time every seven years and I said to myself, boy, here's what God's teaching me now. I think I look at myself like I was insane. You know, I just probably every seven years. So when I was in a good Mennonite kid growing up, if I would have said God speaks today, I would have went, you're crazy, right? Mm-hmm. When renewal happened, if I would have went back to even to the guy that believed God speaks today, I would have went, you're crazy. Um, the fact that God is so into dreams, for example, if I would have went back in time, I mean, we have these built-in belief systems that, that limit us, that God's always trying to expand. But, 
But if you look at it in this way, um, there's a great book by, uh, by a couple of people from Fuller, and they, they kind of look at stage development, right? So the church has always believed in stage development. Um, always, you know, what's Wesley? Sanctification, something, glorification. What's the middle one? I never remember, right? He takes it off Marcarius. So uh, church would originally call it purgation, illumination, deification, right? So Wesley changes those. So God grows us up. We grow in our salvation. Work out your salvation with, with fear and trembling, right? So you could look at it like this. So this critical journey is the name of this book, where when someone gets saved, uh, you have this original encounter of the nature of God, right? Stage one, God exists. He loves me, right? Stage two usually is life of discipleship where we need to find a charismatic leader. We start to learn about theology. We find a community. Stage three is often um, doing the stuff. We learn we have gifting. We learn we have calling. We learn, right? Stage four, I mean, this can take decades, right? Stage four is often the desert, the dark night of the soul. Nothing works anymore. Favorless. And stage five is often like, uh, you know, there's some real change in the desert. We're not so driven by our gifting, not needs of people. Uh, favor comes back, right? But, you know, they would say in the critical journey, nobody can understand anybody two stages up. So somebody in stage two, life of discipleship, looks at someone in the desert and goes, you've lost your faith. And someone in the desert looks at someone in stage two and goes, boy, you have easy answers. Right? And someone in stage three, the doing stage, looks at someone coming out of the desert where they just really want to be spirit-led now. And they go, this ministry, this vision be perfect for you. And this person, stage five, goes, oh, I don't feel led to do that. Why? It's your gift base. Because they're still all about the vision. They're not all about the relationship. But people walk through that. right? Everybody's at a different place. So when I go to different churches to speak, I, I need to get a pretty good feel of you know, where are their people at? What, what level are they at? Are they, are they a stage two church? They're really young. They're just doing doctrine. All they want is doctrine. And it's healthy for them in that moment. And I'm sure you feel that sometimes, Steve. You go to a church, you, you want to get them past that, right? You want to get them to experience, but sometimes they're scared just to make that step. Mm-hmm. I've been to churches that have been in a real dark place, that they've been through a split. They had a vision. It doesn't work. Well, what's God teaching them in that season? They thought it was about the vision or the teaching. How did they end up here, right? So, so you can give a prophetic word at a church at stage two. It's very different than a church in the dark night, right? And the people respond differently depending on the training of the Lord, right? So, so, and how somebody reads scripture at stage two can be very different for somebody how it reads scripture in, in like the dark night of the soul or stage five, right? So, so for example, the, the prodigal son story, when I, when I read that as a kid, to me, it was all about the prodigal, Right. That was my focus. Um, going through a bunch of stuff the last couple of years, I would say my focus has been the older brother. I got a lot of older brother in me. I didn't realize that. Kind of shocked me. And, and through stages of that, it's all been about the father. I mean, the parable didn't change. But what the Lord draws me to is really changed based on what he's teaching me. Right? So, um, so the thing is, even how I view scripture as God matures me as a son, and my relationship changes as he walks with me, Things get revealed to me based on my ability to understand him as father, as he reveals, right? So, um, again, that's Ephesians 1.17. I pray God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the glorious father. But, but remember, is it First John? To you, to you children, I say this. To yes. you young men, I say this. To yes. you fathers, I say this. Right? And he's like, these guys are in different places. 
and and um, you know we have to understand that that um, yeah you read the Bible very differently sometimes based on um, where he's taking you you know so I don't know here you go I would just say I would say that when he takes us outside the camp outside the walls uh, I think it's an inevitable part of of that determination to follow Christ, right? I, I used to have a, a Bible teacher, Bob Mumford, a generation ago, and he used to say they loved following him until they figured out where he was going. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that there is an inevitability, but the place yeah. out there is a profound place of formation, profound. Uh, you know, Murray and I have swapped stories of being outside the walls and what it's done in our lives. And neither of us, although we don't romanticize, I don't romanticize the pain and the fear, but I, I sincerely have a depth of thankfulness for the Lord taking me through that because where he took me to, there was no other way around, you know? Let me just add a bit to that too, that, like here's a good button pusher, right? I mean, when you read Philippians, is it four or five? I, I could have it wrong. It's the top of my head. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, right? And three, something of his power. Philippians three ten. Yeah. Could, could you quote the first bit of that? Yeah. I want to know the- that that I might know him, which is what we hear all the time. But that yeah. isn't the full quote. That way, might that I might know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah. yeah. And the second so, half doesn't sell as well as the first half. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And see, I, you know, I've always, you know, just growing up, I always wanted to know the fellowship of his power. Yeah. But, but that's not what that passage says. No. It says the fellowship of the sufferings. And it's, I mean, nobody wants to suffer. It, it sucks, but it, it's so important. I mean, you don't learn humility by success. You know, humility comes by what you go through. And, and, and if, if we watch Jesus's life, I mean, and, and the things he says, I mean, he's pretty a straight arrow, too. I mean, he's got good boundaries, that guy, right? But, um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, if we want fellowship with him, to understand his heart for humanity, his understand how, how broken humanity is, um, and to choose love over self. I, sometimes I think we don't understand how much self that whole knowledge of the tree of good and evil self that's where that that shows up and the effects of it until sometimes we we suffer and we go i'm out of here those guys did this to me that's it i didn't get what i want and we really see how the self rages yes it right? does it's 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 so important because we can make it about vision and ignore that we can make church about my experience and worship and, and ignore that but sooner or later, there must be a confrontation that church, we realize it, it, it's, it's about following Christ wherever he goes because we want fellowship. And because he walked through that, we have to walk through it too. And you know what? When people read, you know, I hate to say it, but oh, God have mercy. But I don't hear a lot of charismatic churches talk about suffering and what it no. does. We skip yeah. those passages because we want to know about lots of other things. 
because it doesn't sell well. We want to know and, triumph and victory and success. I'm, I'm doing a study right now. I just started a study on the book of Philippians. And uh, as I started, I just wrote down some of my first impressions about just general themes and things like that. And one of the things that struck me was uh, his selflessness as he's sitting here in the prison writing writing this letter. And his all he's talking about is his his tender affection for this other church and wanting to see them grow in their relationship with the Lord. And it's all relational. Uh, and, and yet he, he has such authority to say these things and rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, it's amazing. Because, because he's writing from this place of intense suffering and he doesn't dwell on it at all. He doesn't sit there and woe is me. Uh, and, and then of course, in our narcissistic society, we've taken uh, this fantastic verse and turn it into a bumper sticker which is i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and we you know i can go and and do great things and of course the context of that scripture is because he has taught me to persevere through this suffering i can withstand anything that the world throws at me. i i've been reading this last yeah. week the letters of ignatius and ignatius uh is only 40 years after paul dies mm. And wow. I'm reading his uh, his epistle to the Romans, and he's on his way to go be martyred. He knows he's going to be martyred. And he says, the only thing I'm worried about is if you guys pray too hard and I get off too easy. Because hmm. <laughs> I, I don't want to miss anything that he has for me. Wow. That's yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was a fairly committed follower. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you talked, uh, we're going down this rabbit trail, so let's just keep going. I'm loving it. Uh, you talked in a, a teaching you did recently that was not on the podcast, but I, we're going to get it on the podcast mm. probably next year when we're finished with the John series. But you talked about the road to compassion is marked with suffering. Yes. Can you tell us just really quickly a, a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah, I, I absolutely will. Um, it comes back to this central theme of following Jesus and he's going to the cross and he's suffering and he's not complaining about it because he sees how powerful it is. Mm. And, uh, and compassion is not pity. Compassion is not uh, a sad feeling for somebody or a nice feeling for somebody. Compassion is experiential. You know, you've heard me use the word splanknozomai and, and, if we, we, it is useless for me, and I've taught on compassion for 30 years. It is, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, Murray, it is useless for me to preach a message that says we need to all be more compassionate. Um, I may as well say we all need to get taller. What, <sighs> what, what we need to do is follow him and embrace him. I was reading this morning a, a wonderful book I'm reading right now, uh, translated from the Greek, on, on humility, the chapters on humility, uh, the humility of Christ. And it goes so much deeper and deeper and deeper because humility, suffering, compassion, they're, they're like three strands of a rope. And um, you pursue him and pursue his journey and is marked with humility, suffering, and compassion, as opposed to saying, you know, I need to be more humble. I need to be more compassionate. It's, it's this single, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher 
of your faith mm. is so different than fix your eyes on Jesus. He's going to give you a great life. He's going to give you the ultimate life. But he said, more common than any other saying of Christ is, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. Mm. He who loses his life for my sake will find real life. And that doesn't preach much these days. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'll, I'll add just a little bit to that, if you don't mind. Just I know we're, I don't know where we're at the time, but, you know, it's important to look at the long view. Like, I mean, why do, why do we need to suffer? Why, why does mm. God do this? And we, we, you know, we, it's important to realize that, that, you know, Jesus is raising up this bride without yes. wrinkle that, that we're really talking about this bride who sits on a throne with him and co-reigns for eternity. But yes. even if you look at Ephesians 1, 17, that it's about seeing, right? I pray God, God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and that the eyes of your heart would open, that you would know the hope of your calling. That's future. What's your hope? It's yeah. his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's the next part. What does he get? He gets a bride and is a comparably great power. I mean, two of those are about future that God really wants to see what we're developing into and to overcome. And the Lord, you know, I, I say to him often, you know, Lord, quit working on my heart. Go work on somebody else's heart for a while. You know, just let me move with power. Like, just let's, let's deal with someone else. You know, you want me to be blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God when I'm dead. I'll see you every day. Just leave it alone. <laughs> like, so, but, but he does it. And, but why, you know, why is it important? Because, because in his eyes, He's looking at this from an eternal view yes, of developing yes, a bride. Yes. And for him, Amen. this is divine romance stuff. So, so when we're suffering, you see, we have it in our Western culture that if something outside affects me, it's that person's fault. It's external, right? But, but if you look at, at Jesus, he says, it, uh, Matthew 13, it's what come, things that come out of the heart that defile a man. Anger and rage, and it's in here. So, so you begin to see that when something pushes your buttons – your reaction is coming out of you, right? And and I, I was talking to this Orthodox monk guy, and, and he was a little nervous meeting with me, and we're talking, and he goes, well, how does it work in your church? He goes, well, you know, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's the, all these good things, but part of the problem in my culture is that often if, if somebody disagrees with somebody, we split and we, you know, and he goes, wow. Because in my culture, I'm, I'm always at fault. It's always my fault because that would be awesome for it to be someone else's fault all the time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and they're maybe a little bit too far the other way, right? But but the idea is is that it's what proceeds out of the, out of the mouth comes from the heart, right? So when I go through something and I have these reactions, it's like Lord, the Lord is showing me an area of my heart. Look what's in there. Let's let's clean that up so my presence, my bride can be developed in that area of your heart. He's never freaked out. He's never angry, but he's like, you know that area of your heart, you have all that anger? You have that area of your heart, you have all that fear? I'm going to poke it a little bit, but I want you to see it's there so I can transform it and show you who I am as father. But but that takes going through things to look at our responses and why we respond that way and then what Jesus wants to do out of that to transform us, right? I mean, That's so in true. some ways, we're all living the cross. We all have to, unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't bear any fruit. But there's areas of us still that need to die, that need to transform, but to bear fruit, to become this incredible bride. And, and suffering and humility is, is a part of that. And, yep. and it's just, yeah. 
So I, just a question, because, Murray, you've touched on this a few times in regards to church conflict. Um, mm. And it often has devastating results. And you've, you've mentioned church splits as one of the obvious uh, examples of that. Um, I, an old pastor of mine used to ex- kind of describe it as there are, there are closed-handed issues and there are open-handed issues. Uh, and open-handed issues are, are parts of our, our faith or our theology that are open for discussion because there isn't clear definitive answers in the scriptures in terms of how we should interpret these things. And that's, that's worth having a good, healthy debate. But then there are closed-handed issues where these things are worth fighting for. Uh, and, you know, certainly uh, the nature of, of who Christ was, the nature yeah. of the Trinity, things like that are, are those. Um, I'm wondering, because it sounds to me like you're talking a little bit about uh, how on some of these issues, whether open-handed or closed-handed, how to approach them in a, a way that is more biblical effectively and, and coming from a heart of, of compassion for one another. Uh, but are there times when it's a closed handed issue and we need to kind of dig in our heels a little bit? And what does that look like? Um, you know, it's, let's do open handed first. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, Boy, oh boy, that's such, a, such an incredible thing. Like, I'm just looking through all the some of the stuff I've been through going, you know, what, what do I want to pull out there? Um, I, was in, I was in the church in the 90s in which um, my senior pastor was a, was a great guy, but very, very driven, very driven. And, you know, wouldn't really let anyone get close or open up, right? And because of his own church experience. So I, I came into that church uh, it, from a house church, our whole house church joined, right? And I got I got hired on, which is a crazy story. I mean, you know, I'm a young guy, and um, you know, the lady that brought us in was very prophetic. She'd been an elder in the Vineyard movement, you know, doing all their inner healing, so very well trained, very well gifted. And and the lack of rest in our senior pastor drove her nuts. Drove her nuts. And. Um, and uh, my senior pastor, we just dodge it all the time. He'd laugh, or he'd make a joke of it, and she would go, you know, you get a little prayer, you could get by that, or you know, maybe she'd spend more time alone with the Lord. And he would just laugh. And I mean, we were doing like right in the end, we we're doing trying to do a Bible school, a retreat center, a deliverance ministry, renewal meetings every week, conferences once a month, let alone church and everything else. Right? Just I think we burned the whole staff out from what I remember. Um, but this is early on. Like that's you know seven years later. So a year goes by of this lady bringing this up and my senior pastor dodging it. And one day, I guess this lady, she couldn't take it anymore. Right. And she was charge of intercession, charge of the prophetic. And she writes in this letter, quoting the verse of, of, I say to you, your house will be left to you desolate until you say, blessed is he, or in this case, she who comes in the name of the Lord. Right. It'll say, you got to deal with your issues or else. Well, you know, the senior pastor, that's it. Removes her from intercession, removes her from prophecy, you know, and she leaves, takes a group of people with her. What she saw was absolutely 100% right. Absolutely 100%. But the thing is, God didn't touch that in that senior pastor for five years. So this lady who brought that up went through five years of hell. 
Five years later, she comes back after all this horrible stuff she's been through and apologizes, right? After that, the Lord went after that stuff and that senior pastor to the point he eventually stood up in a service one day and says, that's it, I quit. Walked out, walked away from his wife, walked away from his family. He wouldn't get healing, wouldn't deal with his issues, wouldn't. And she was right. But first, the Lord dealt with her, her judgment, her criticism, her need for position, her. So so sometimes when, God, when something's coming up and it's like, boy, leadership better deal with this. We got to We got to really be careful. Like, what's the timing? So there's, there's revelation, interpretation, and then there's application, presentation, and timing, right? Her timing was five years out, mm. and, and God was given that senior pastor five years of grace to work on his issues, and and so, you know, that, that was an open-ended issue, if you want to use that. She should not have went after that like that then, but, but again, she didn't realize she needed to be heard, she needed to have a position, she needed to have a place, all that was playing into her application, right? And, you know, once God dealt with that, so was she right? Absolutely. But the Lord is working in, in grace there. Yeah. Um, Sometimes these things that are open-handed issues, we tend to hold on to pretty tightly. But I, again, I come back to Philippians only because I just was studying it this morning again. But in that first chapter of Philippians, <laughs> Paul, Paul starts writing about some of these other guys who are preaching out of selfish ambition and stuff. And he says, but uh, you know what? As long as Christ is being preached, it'll work out in the end. It'll be fine. And, and then he goes <laughs> on to the next chapter, and he says, play nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, just yeah. play nice. It's okay. Yeah. Count the other one is more important. The issue is very, very tricky of what's a closed, what's a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we can look at a few instances with Paul. We can look at it with John. Mm-hmm. John, beloved disciple, gentle, easygoing John. And there's a few instances he says, no, you can't cross this line. Yeah. The problem is we all have different things that we think are obvious lines yeah. that shouldn't be crossed. I was reading about one of the church fathers, a late church father, Maximus, and he had a position and they said, no way, and they cut out his tongue, Ooh. and they cut yeah. off his right Ooh. hand, Ooh. and he died. Funny that. Yeah. <laughs> and about two years later, they all came together. I think it was in Constantinople and said, you know what? Old Maxi was right. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, after they cut out his tongue and killed him. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he so, became the church position. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So these well, things—it's the really thing with, hard. I mean, what the non-negotiables are. I mean, like even the debate right now about homosexuality. Like, if we look at that's a non-negotiable, but it's that's tough, right? Because those are wonderful, caring, kind, compassionate, artistic people. What do you do with that, right? Oh, that's that's so hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um. Yeah. So the the position determining what is close, what's non-negotiable. Sometimes we need to negotiate on that. <laughs> but but there's there's two things at issue here. One is deciding what those things are open yeah. and close-handed. But the second yeah. is, are you coming from a place of compassion? Yes. What is your motivation? Is it because you want to be right, or is it because it's a place of compassion? You, your heart breaks for those who may wander from from what the Lord has for them. Uh, yeah, I think it. And un- I said uh, last week when I was teaching uh, unity, the cost of unity is giving up our right to be right. Mm. Yeah. And uh, and that's a that for some of us that's a big cost. Yeah. Yeah. And see, 
part of the problem with that in our culture too, like when I was doing, I was working with street kids back at this church, lots of street kids getting saved. And, 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 you know, it wasn't tattooed so much in the nineties. It was colored hair and studs and rings and chains and, you know, lots of that kind of thing. And so the problem would be is that they would become Christians and then they would attend maybe more of a, you know, they go to church somewhere and they say, well, you can't come until you cover up your tattoos, until you dye your hair back and change your clothes. Okay. So really, so, so what you're saying is, is that the outward is more important than the inward there. But I mean, when you're dealing with kids who have been sexually abused or, you know, all that kind of stuff, and they're wearing Judas Priest t-shirts and ripped up clothes, their clothing is often very clearly how they're feeling or their culture. And for you to say, until you change this, right, that most of them would never go to church. And, and it was, it was really damaging. Like once they were around for a while and they felt loved and um, a lot of times stuff would just change. But it took love and compassion and um, time spent. So I think Graham Cook would say that church used to be. I mean, I might be quoting him a little blindly. Believe, behave, belong. Right? But now it's belong. Yep. You know, learn how to behave, learn apart, and then believe. Yeah. Right? So there is even a cultural shift of, well, how do you look? What does it work? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very different. And thus concludes another episode of the Impact Nations podcast. You can learn more about Murray and his ministry at samuelsmantle.com or catch his videos on Facebook. We'll include links in the show notes. In the meantime, be sure to visit impactnations.com slash flood to learn how you can rescue lives in India this week. Thanks for listening and have a great week.